0: So today we're talking about holiness. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you need a Bible or come forward with Bibles. Last week we talked about holiness in the church. This week we're going to talk about holiness in our personal lives. Holiness. And some of you are saying, Oh boy. Holy roller John. Oh boy. Go come, come into church. I'm going to get banged down by the Bible about being holy. A bunch of goody two-shoes. All this restriction, you're gonna lay a trip on me. Everything else, no. Not, we're not going there this morning. We're going to, We're going to, the, the proper view of holiness is here's. I've said it many times. Holy. The proper view of holiness is this. Holiness leads to happiness. Say that again. Holiness will lead to happiness. That will. If if and the reason why is because when we're being holy, we're being like God, and we're all created in God's image. And when we start living according to His image and holiness according to His word, here's what happens. We start firing on all eight cylinders, and we're living the way we're supposed to live, and there's happiness and fulfillment that comes from living the right way." First John five verse three tells this. It says, "This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? burdensome. God doesn't want to lay a burden on you. Jesus says, "My yoke is easy. A bird's light." Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Have it what? He doesn't want to rain on your parade. He doesn't want to take the fun out of life. Just the opposite. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And the more you get this area of holiness right, the more fulfilling your life will be, the more free your life will be, and the more blessed your life will be, and the more happy your life will be because holiness leads to happiness. We were just talking about golf. I'll throw in a golf illustration for you. True story. Famous Christian theologian. If I said his name, some of you would very likely recognize his name. Writes Christian books. Just passed away recently. And when he was a younger man, he, I heard this illustration from him. He said he went out to golf on a day off. And on his day off, he went golfing. And he was solo, so he got paired with this other guy that was a golf pro that was going out for the day to, to golf. Tour. And this, like, like me, this theologian's a hacker, Wasn't that great a golfer? And so he gets on the golf course with this golf pro, and this golf pro is just striping the ball right down the fairway. I mean, he's putting—he's putting his shots fairways and greens in one putt or two putt. And so, but he's also using a lot of uh, bad words, expletives, or whatever you want to call it. And they get to about the fourth hole, and the golf pro says to this theologian, "He goes, well, what do you do for a living?" And the, and the theologian said, well, I write Christian books, I preach in churches, and I teach at a seminary. And the golf pro said right away, he said, boring. You're still a young man. Why, why would you want to do that with your life? Isn't that boring to be a preacher in a church and a teacher at a seminary? Why don't you go have some fun, and then when you become a senior citizen, then you can do that kind of stuff. Boring. And he said, before, the theologian says, before I answer your question... About whether my life is boring or not, let me let me ask you a question. And he said, "Why do you play golf the way you play golf?" I mean, me when I get up, I hit the ball and I slice it right in the woods. And then I get in the woods. I get to see all the woods, and I get, not only can see the woods, I hit another tree. And I go deeper in the woods. I get to see more of the woods. And then when it, when I get out of the woods, I, I hit it across there. And then then it takes me two or three times. and Then I end up in a bunker. I get to I get to see like sand, and it's like a beach or something. And not only that, I hit it out of there, finally get it up on the green, and then it takes me at least three, four, five times to get in the hole with putting. You get, but you, what you do is every time you hit it straight down the fairway, and every time you put your second shot on the part fours on the green, and then you always either one or two putt, isn't the way you play golf boring? All of a sudden, a light went on with this golf pro and says, oh, I'm getting what you're saying. what you're saying. Is, is the way to live life is to hit it straight. And he said, Exactly. The best life you can live is a life lived the way God created you to live, and that's straight. And isn't that true? You get it right. You start living according to this book. His commandments aren't burdensome, they're not boring they help you live your life straight, successfully, in the way you were created to live. And holiness leads to happiness. You know, what is holiness, by the way? Hagios, Greek. It means this, to be set apart for God's purposes, specific purposes. It's to be set apart by your creator to live the way that he's purposed you to live for his good pleasure. And so we're going to learn this morning five things about holiness if we're going to live holiness in our personal lives. Very important stuff as Paul brings this correction of holiness to the church in Corinth, which was struggling in this area of holiness. So individual holiness is what we're talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. Does any of you, when he has a case against his brother, Dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Here's the problem, corrective problem that Paul's bringing up here, is that there was people in the church in Corinth, not only were they divided and had a party spirit, and they were following Paul or Apollos, and they were divided about who they were going to follow, but also there was Christians that had issues with one another in the business world. Remember, Corinth was a business city. It was on the isthmus, this little piece of land that separated the two seas. And instead of going all the way to the bottom of Greece, people would sail through that city. And what they had is they had a rolling system for the ships to be rolled across the land to the next sea. A lot of business going on in the city. And there was business issues in the church, and believers in the church had business issues with other believers in the church, and they were suing each other. And Paul says, what in the world is going on here? Look at verse two. He says, do you not know that the saints... Will judge the world? If the world's judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Interesting. When are we going to judge the world? I thought Jesus was going to judge the world. No, no. We're going to judge the world with Jesus when he comes back. Remember, we're supposed to pray. Pray this way uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? On earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus establishes his reign upon earth, after those seven years of great tribulation, after we're raptured, we're going to come back from heaven with him and establish his reign for a thousand years. It's called a theocracy. King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus is going to be the king, and we're going to reign with him. And when we reign with him, there's going to be governing issues that we have to make judgments on. Why? Because there will be tribulation saints that have human bodies that didn't get raptured because they got saved after the rapture, and they'll still be making bad decisions in the flesh, and we're going to have to reign and govern those tribulation saints. And there's going to be judgments that are going to be made, and we'll be part of those judgments. Interesting. We're told about that in Scripture. We're told in... um, several different scriptures, Revelation 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they'll reign upon the earth. That's believers, will reign upon the earth. Second 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Revelation 24, then I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God. And those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received a mark on their forehead and on their hand, they came to life, and what do we do? Reign with Christ for how long? A thousand years. So we're going to be judging and bringing governing rule for the reign of Christ for a thousand years. And here's Paul's point: If you're going to be judging the world during the thousand years of tribulation, why are you letting believers in your church go to pagan courts? instead of you dealing it in-house with, with, with leaders in the church. Don't bring your dirty laundry of the church out into the marketplace where they, they had what they, either the, the gates or the marketplace were the main places of judgment, where they, and it, it was a public spectacle. And they're bringing Christians in a public spectacle going against each other rather than dealing with it in-house. So Paul says this, Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? We're not only judge the world, we're gonna judge angels. I got a couple questions about with my guardian angel about a couple motorcycle accidents I had. I'm gonna judge, no, I'm just kidding. But I, I really we're, we're gonna be a part of judging angels too. That's interesting. It says, How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who have no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it that there's not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers? Actually, then it's already a defeat for you that you should have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Remember what Jesus said? If your enemy strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. If he asks you to go one mile, what are you supposed to do? Go two miles. If he asks for your shirt, give him your coat. It's better to be defrauded than making a spectacle of Christians fighting with one another publicly. Verse 7 says, actually, that it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your own brother. Now, question, question. Should you never, ever seek litigation when there's an issue where you've been wronged? If you have a contractor doing your house, you've already paid him, he's got your money, and then he walks off the job and refuses to come back and finish the job, and you've tried everything to get him back, is it wrong for you to go to a magistrate and make sure he finishes the job or you get your money back? No. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about believers in the same church making sure they work out their issues. Like Matthew 18 says, if we've got an issue with a brother, go to them in private and work it out. And if, they, if it doesn't work out, then bring two other people from the church. Work it out with that brother that sinned against you. Or if, it, if, if it's necessary, bring a leaders in the church in and work it out with that brother rather than bringing it to a public pagan court. It's talking about a specific situation in the same church, believers together, suing one another. That's what it's talking about. Interesting. You know, there's over 22,000 lawsuits a day in the United States. One out of every two Americans will be involved eventually in some kind of lawsuit or some kind of litigation. And what it's saying here is we're living in a sue-happy culture. And it's best for us if we got issues with a brother, especially in our own church, Not to bring that to a court, but deal with it in-house. So be holy, first point of be holy, be holy in your business dealings, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ. Be holy. What does holy mean again? Be different. Be set apart with a world that's so happy and suing everybody. Be different. Be holy. Work it out in-house. How many people have watched Judge Judy? (laughs) Some of you were embarrassed to raise your hand right there. Judge Judy, and one of, the, one of the things about Judge Judy, why it's a popular show and everything, is you get ex-husbands and ex-wives, and they're fighting uh, publicly over national TV, and they're fighting each other. And my personal response, a couple times I've seen something like that, is these guys were married at one time. They were husband and wife. And now they're at each other's throats. That's embarrassing. Same thing in the church. When people outside in the world... See, brothers and sisters in the church, and they're fighting, and they're suing each other? Don't do that. Bring it to the elders if necessary, but deal with it in-house. Now again, that doesn't mean it's wrong to have litigation out in the secular world where someone's ripping you off. That's okay. But in the church, let's be a family, amen? And be holy in our business dealings. And also, listen, listen. Also, be holy. Have integrity in your other business dealings too. Don't put a fish on your business card and be ripping people off. Don't put a, don't put a dove on the back of your car or a Calvary Chapel on the back of your car and then have shady dealings with other people. Don't do that. The Bible says, Matthew five sixteen. let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Your work matters to God. Have integrity in your work. Be holy in your work so that others may glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. so be holy in your business dealings with other people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. be different than the rest of the world that's suing everybody. And then it goes on. Second part of being holy is in our lifestyle. Look at verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will what inherit the kingdom of God. Wow! Don't be deceived. How are the Corinthians being deceived? They're thinking, well, I could I could stick with the lifestyle I had before Christ. I'd go back to being drunk. I could go back to fornication. I could go back to adultery. I could go back to homosexuality. I could go back to reviling people. I could go back to swindling people. God's grace will cover it. Will it? No. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. And what it's saying there is if you choose to go back to a lifestyle, habitual lifestyle of open immorality and open sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you choose to go back to adultery, if you choose, as a Christian, you choose to go back to ripping people off. If you choose to go to homosexuality, you choose to drunkenness or getting high even, or any of those things. If you choose a lifestyle, it's not talking about struggling, by the way. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with, with, with Satan you know, throwing fiery darts at us. It's talking about, in the Greek, it's habitual practicing of that lifestyle. If you go back to that with no repentance, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because Paul says, the next verse, you were that way. Look at the next verse, verse 11. Such were some of you. Interesting. Some of the Corinthians were homosexuals. Some of the Corinthians were adulterers. Some of the Corinthians were drunkards. Some of the Corinthians were fornicators. Some of the Corinthians were ripping people off. And Paul said, some of you were that way. But now, what does he say then? But you were Washed. How are they washed? The blood of Jesus cleansed them from that sin. And not only were you washed, but you were sanctified. You're in the process now, Corinthians, of becoming a holy people. And not only that, you're justified. What does justified mean? It means you've been declared righteous through the blood of Christ and your faith in Him. So why would you go back to that vomit of the world and live in a lifestyle of sin and immorality... When you've been washed, when you've been cleansed, you've been justified. And God's in the process of one day bringing you a place of glory. No, that doesn't make any sense. You're not, you're not in that lifestyles anymore because you've been transformed. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are what? You're new. No. about only a year or two into the church. We started our men's breakfast. We, don't have, we didn't have 60 people like we have now on Saturday mornings at men's breakfast in the cafe. We had about five or six of us at Lizard's Thicket. I still don't understand why they call a restaurant Lizard's Thicket. really doesn't want to make you go eat there, does it? And you eat a bunch of lizards. Ugh. But we started, it was a common restaurant. We started our men's breakfast there. And we had this gentleman come that no one knew. He had just started visiting our church and then he came to our men's breakfast. And so I was a new pastor, getting the church to start. I said, hey, let's meet just one on one sometime after that Saturday. I met with him. It was interesting because he shared his whole testimony, life story. I mean, just laid the cards out on the table at our first lunch together. It was interesting because he had come to our church from Irmo. It was a Baptist church in Irmo, I believe, and he was a deacon in that church but he had a moral failure. What happened is he left his wife and two little daughters and had a a affair, and it was a mess. He was separated from his wife. And he was in the process of restoration because he had left the mistress now, living by himself in an apartment, and he was trying to get back together with his wife, and he was seeking my counsel. And so I just opened opened ears, showed grace, and I was listening to him, and then I said, let's meet again. We met again the next week. Got together the next week. And he came, and he was just kind of, the next time we got together for lunch, his face was just like, I could just tell something was wrong. I said, what's wrong? After as we were sitting and waiting for the menus, he goes, well, she called. And I thought it was his wife. I said, that's a good thing, your wife called, that's great. Reconciliation, no, he goes, John, do you don't understand, it wasn't my wife. It was the mistress. She called. And she's lonely. And she's scared, because she's living by herself now, and she wants to meet with me and John, what should I do? And I told him, don't even think about meeting with her. And he goes, that's not right. That's not Christian, John. She needs my help. I said, don't even think about meeting with her. You're trying to reconcile with your wife. You have two daughters, little daughters at stake here. Don't even think about meeting with her. She goes, he goes, well, she's calling me, John. What should I do? When she calls me, what should I do? I said, don't even answer her phone calls. He goes, That's not right. What, what, what do you mean, don't answer her phone calls? She needs my help right now. I said, You got no, don't even answer the phone calls. And then he started justifying, rationalizing and stuff. So I said, Hey, okay, time out. Let's turn the Word of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I turned them to these very verses we read. I said, Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that means? If you go back to that relationship and you start having her as your mistress again, because you're compassion and mercy towards her, you know what that means? It means literally, let me tell you what it means. You will not inherit the kingdom God. He goes, Well, that doesn't fit with my theology. I've been a deacon of a church. I've trusted Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I said, hey, I don't, I'm not going to talk theology right now. Let me tell you what these verses are saying. It says, if you go back to adultery and you live in that adultery with this woman, hey, let me real clear, real plain, real simple, you're going to hell. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah, you really? Don't even receive your phone calls anymore. And then I never saw him again. For some reason, he stopped coming to my church. I didn't see him again. And I I, I couldn't figure it out. And And so I thought, you know, okay, I don't know what's happened with him. And then through the grapevine, I heard, you know what happened? That was a wake-up call for him. And he realized he didn't answer the phone calls. He didn't meet with her. He got more serious about getting back with his wife. And he left our church because he went back to the church he was a part of with his wife and started attending there again. And they, they, and it was, they got back together again. And then, it was about eight years later, I hadn't seen him, I from, I'm doing a wedding in Irmo, outdoor wedding. And the wedding coordinator runs up to her before the ceremony and everything else and says, Are you Pastor John Hoppy? And I said, What do you got on me? <laughs> Depends. No, I didn't say that. I said, Yeah, I'm Pastor John Hoppy. And, and, and she goes, Well, let me tell you something. Uh, this gentleman, and she, she named his name, it's my husband. And we've been back together for these last eight years. In the last eight years, we've had another baby girl and our family's together, and it's healthy. And I want to thank you for telling my husband the truth that he needed to hear. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holiness leads to happiness. God's commandments aren't burdensome. They're to bless us. Amen? And we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been justified, and so we should live that way. And now he goes on. Verse 12: All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, first reason: we we live in holiness because Holiness is important in our business dealings because we let our light shine in such a way. So we're, we're to be holy in our business dealings. We're to be holy in our lifestyles. But we're also to be holy because it's profitable. And not only is it profitable, it'll lead to freedom. Look what Paul says there again. He says, I, I'm free to do all things. Actually, one verse says, all things are permissible to me. I, under grace, I have liberty. But not all things I can choose to do will profit me. And not only that, he says, I value my freedom, and I don't want to be mastered by anything and make choices that will bring me under the mastery of sin again. So holiness is important because holiness is profitable, and it will lead to freedom. Remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth. truth will set you free, man. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And holiness leads to happiness because it's freedom. There's a dignity in that freedom, too. When we're not under the mastery and the bondage of sin, we're free. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but at least we're not under this, this bondage anymore of sin anymore. That's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a thing I treasure. It's a thing I treasure. My dad was under the bondage of alcoholism for 35 years. I watched that from middle school on a turning point to me when I started listening to these people, these Christians that were witnessing to me, was I came home one day, honest truth, I came home one day, it wasn't even dinner time yet, and I was on the same flow as my dad, alcoholism and and drugs, everything, I was starting to go that way, I came home, and I was wasted before dinner. I came home, went up to the second story of our house, and I sat in the recliner to watch TV, and my dad was sitting in the other recliner, and he was pickled also. And I'm sitting there, 17 years old, 16 or 17 years old, looking at him. He's looking at me. He knew that I wasn't right. I knew he wasn't right. We were both trying to fake it. And at that point, I started saying, I don't want to do this for the next decades. I better start listening to these Christians that are telling me about Jesus Christ. And I got saved shortly after that. And I haven't been high or drunk since that time of being 17 years old. Because holiness leads to happiness. And you know what? I could in liberty do certain things, but I am very careful in what I expose my life to because I don't want to do things that are unprofitable for my spiritual life. I make mistakes all the time, but I try to guard myself from practicing things in liberty that could lead to mastery in my life again. Because all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. All things under grace, we have liberty. Yeah, but I don't want to be mastered by anything. I've Value my freedom. And we should guard it. Amen? It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand the throne of God. Do you see what it's saying there? If you're not careful, in this race we're running with endurance, we could get entangled with sin that could weigh us down and stop us from running successfully with endurance, this race that God has for us. Um, Several years ago, I had about a two or three year stint. I don't know what I was thinking, but with my boys, I, I ran the Cooper River Bridge Run. And I remember the first time I ran it, I just about had a heart attack because the first mile and a half straight, and then all of a sudden you're going up this bridge that's like this for a mile and a half. And so I got about half, and I made a mistake of drinking some coffee that morning before I did it. And I'm about halfway up this bridge, and my heart's like beating out of the chest. I go, okay, I, I'm not going to have a heart attack here. I walked a part of the bridge, and then I got, to, and I finished the race. But the next year I did it with my boys, I said, I got some advice from my wife that ran some track. And what she said is, John, when you get to that incline like that, do baby steps. Keep jogging, but do smaller steps. So I'm I'm going up this, I'm going up this bridge a second time, and I'm doing the smaller steps. And I'm intent. I'm going to go for this thing. I'm not going to stop this time. And I get about halfway up this, and this young, must have been like 19, 20-year-old, is zooming past me. Oh, he's not even focused on what he's doing. And I look to him, and he's, he's got a cardboard car on him that they must have weighed 20 or 30 pounds, and it was, it was cardboard stock car, and he's, he's running up the bridge with all this weight on him and going, are you stupid or what? And he's passing by me. I'm going, what in the world? But I was thinking, that's the last thing I'd ever do is put another 20 pounds of cardboard on me as I'm trying to get up this bridge. And I was thinking of that race when I was thinking about sin, Sin can entangle us. It could stop us. It could slow us down and stop us from being all that God's created us to be. It can entangle us. And you shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Let's live in freedom, church. Let's live in holiness because it's not only profitable, it'll cause us as holiness, it'll cause us to live in freedom so we're not mastered by anything again. Amen? All right, let's go on now. Food is for the stomach, verse 13, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Here's here's what's going on. Some of the Corinthians, because they lived in a sex-crazed culture in that city, they did. They actually had a temple to Epaphroditus where a 1,000 temple prostitutes would go out into the city of Corinth every single night to raise funds. There was actually a phrase in the Roman Empire, to Corinthize. It meant literally in the plays, in the Greek plays, in, in Roman culture, whatever else. It, to me, to Corinthians, meant to you, you were being sexually immoral. That was just a part of the culture. Hey, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It's part of the culture. And so part of their reasoning is, hey, food's for the stomach. We gotta eat. And so same thing with sex. We were made to have sex. Gotta, it's fine to have sex. Doesn't matter. Part of our culture. Now Paul's going to address that kind of flawed argument. Look at verse 14. Now God has not only raised up the Lord, but he'll raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Here's what he's saying. You're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. You become one with the Lord because He's deposited the Holy Spirit in your life. And because you're a Christian with the Holy Spirit, you're abiding in Him and He's abiding in you. And then you're going to bring Christ, who's in you through the Holy Spirit, into an immoral relationship? Does that make sense? No. And that's why He says in the very next verse, flee. Immorality, that could be translated, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your, you're not your own church. You're not your own. It's a hard topic, but it's a relevant topic for our culture. You know why? Because we're living in a Corinthian culture here in the United States. We're living in a culture where high school students have a phrase called friends with benefits. What in the world is that all about? You know what it means? It's okay to just be friends with somebody and be sexually immoral with them because you're just friends with benefits. We're living in a culture that says if it feels good, go for it. Living in a culture that says, hey, it does you know what that's you know why not try it out for a while before you get serious with a person? And the Bible is very clear, wrong, if we're going to be holy in this area of our bodies. That's the next thing, holiness in our bodies. It says, Hebrews 13, four, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Church, we need to be different. Christians, we need to be different. And you know what? I'll tell you What? we're different in this area and we, we, we guard the marriage bed and we're not fornicators or adulterers you're going to be blessed your marriages are going to be blessed your kids are going to be blessed, your families are going to be blessed your homes are going to be blessed because there's trust and security rather than fear and insecurity and many of you We're raised in homes where this marriage bed was undefiled. And you know what I'm talking about, because I've been there. The insecurity, the fear, the problems that come because someone wasn't true and holy in this area in your families. Let's be different. Let's be holy. One of the greatest gifts we can give to not only our wife or our spouse is purity and holiness in this area of immorality, sexual immorality, but it's one of the greatest gifts you could give to your kids too. And not only that, it's the example that you're setting for the next generation. Amen? So let's be holy with these bodies. Let's be different. Let's be rebels. The whole rest of the world is going that way. Immorality, the whole rest of the world says, friends with benefits, let's be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's be rebels against Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and let's, let's be holy with our bodies. And the last thing about holiness, we'll close with it this morning. Last verse we'll look at, great verse. Verse 20, for you've been bought with a price, therefore... Glorify God in your bodies. You know what? God values you. How do I know that? He bought you with a price if you're a Christian. And the price was the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. But God demonstrates his own love for you in this, while you're yet sinners, Christ died for you. And the Lord's been laying upon my heart more and more as I walk with the Lord. I'm gonna live a holy life. I'm gonna glorify God with my body because Jesus died with his body for me. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God which is our spiritual service of worship these bodies we're supposed to glorify God with 31 years ago Hayden and I got married and one of the things we had during our wedding was songs worship and i'll never forget one of our theme songs for that wedding was take my life and let it be consecrated lord To thee. Take my lips, let them be consecrated to you, Lord. Take my feet, let them be running into righteousness and away from evil. Take my heart, and Lord, let it be consecrated to thee. I want that. I want that not only for me, I want that for you. In the Old Testament, when they were in the wilderness, they had 2 to 3 million people for 40 years camping out. That's a long camping trip. And every time the pillar of fire at night would move, they had to pick up all their tents, and they had to go wherever the pillar of fire moved. Every time the cloud would move during the day, they had to pick up their tents and go wherever the cloud moved to. And they all camped out in this you know, this whole thing. They had a tribe here, a tribe there, a tribe there. But right in the center right in the center of all these tents was a big tent. It's called the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was very special because they had a holy of holy place. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was at. And that Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments in it. It had Aaron's staff with the bud. It had a jar of man in it. But most importantly, that Ark of the Covenant had the very presence of God. It's where the Holy Spirit resided. It was the place where the, the, above the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, the glorious kind of glory of God just hovered around that place. And they were very, very, very careful in moving that tabernacle and even the Ark of the Covenant, they had to move it with poles and not even touch it because it was so holy. It's called the naos, the holy of holy place. That was the, where the Ark of the Covenant was at. When it says here in the scripture we just read, Christian, you are the temple of the God and the Holy Spirit resides in you. That word is the same word, holy of holy place. You are the naos in the Greek. You're the place where God's glory and God's presence and God's Holy Spirit resides. So Paul's argument, be holy. Be holy. Be holy in your business dealings with other people. Be holy in the lifestyles you choose to live in Be holy in this area of your bodies. Don't get your bodies mixed up with immorality. Be holy because you've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God with your what? Your bodies. Because listen, church, holiness leads to happiness. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So let's be the church. Let's be that temple of God. And let's be holy and let's flee. The word there, flee, means run. It doesn't say fight temptation. It doesn't say fight immorality. Run from it. Remember Joseph when he was being cornered by Potiphar's wife? Lie with me. What did he do? I'm going to fight this thing. No, he got out of dodge. And she took his coat because he got away so quick. The Bible says we're supposed to flee immorality. Flee from it. Get and so, Listen, some of you, that might mean this. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off. What that means, you might need to take some measures, some drastic measures to get some stuff out of your life that's getting mastery over you. You might need to put a filter on your internet, guys, where you have some accountability if you're struggling in that area. You might need to get rid of some stations on your TV that are just bringing dirt into your home. You might need to start getting rid of some inappropriate relationships at work where you're being flirtatious rather than fleeing from it. You might need to start being more careful in what you're subjecting your heart to. Whatever flee, 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 and be holy because God is holy and He wants us to be a holy people. Now, does that mean perfect? Good luck with that, that ain't going to happen. But we're to be people that are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness so that He can add all things unto us. We're to be pursuing. Christ-likeness. And here's the good news. As you behold his face in a personal relationship with Christ, he'll be changing you from glory to glory into his image. It's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it in you through that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you God that your word is living and active and sharper than a it two-edged sword. Thank you that your word is something that can even judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, Lord. And help us to be people that are seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, so that you can add all things on to us. Help us to be Christians that are being holy in our business dealings with one another. Help us to be holy in our work, God. Father, help us to be holy too in this area of lifestyle. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning uh, that's chosen to go back to a lifestyle of immorality or of any kind of sin that's habitual, Lord, give them the ability to see that you're a God, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just, you'll forgive us and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. And if there's anybody here that needs to repent and get out of the lifestyle that they've gone back into, Lord, just give them the promise that your scripture says that if the sun sets you free, we could be free indeed. Break any mastery of sin in people's lives that are being mastered in bondage in certain areas of sin, Lord. I pray today might be a turning point, a, a spiritual wake-up where they say, enough, I'm repenting of that, I'm getting back to living in freedom, God. I pray too, Father, that we'd be careful in this area of our bodies, Take our lives, Lord, and let them be consecrated to you, Lord. Take our eyes, take our hands, take our feet, take our heart, Lord, and let them be consecrated to you, Lord. God, we want to be people that are living in the best place you want us to live in, and that is in holiness, Lord. God, we thank you that your word says that your commandments are not burdensome, they're for our benefit, they're to bless us. So, Lord, where there's disobedience, Lord, replace that with hearts that now want to be obedient. Where there's, we've been running into some things that we shouldn't be running into, help us to flee from those things, Lord. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be all you've called us to be, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit's our helper. And now we ask, Holy Spirit, give us help in this area of holiness. You are a Holy Spirit. So do that work of holiness in our individual lives, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand, church.